Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Dear God, we give you thanks, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in this place, the provision of your word, the provision of your presence, Father God. I pray, God, that you prepare the hearts that are in this place today, Father God. I pray that you just may cast all anxiety, that you may cast all distraction out, Father, in the name of Jesus. And that you just give us a heart, Lord, ready to receive your word. Give us ears to hear your word, Father. Lord, I pray, God, that you may give us a faith, Lord, to trust in you, Lord. To trust in you even in our tough times. To know that you are a God that will never leave us, never forsake us. That you are always there, Father. Today we uh, place our trust in you. We open our heart and we know that you will fill it today. Fill our cup, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you see up here, we've got a Sukkot, and uh, our pastor asked me to share on this, and it's an incredible celebration that the Jewish people celebrate year after year, and, um, and uh, I'm excited to share about it, and I want you guys to really focus in and see how important, not so much about um, all the festivity of it, but more of how it applies to your life. Because that's the, I'll tell you, that's the point of, of hearing the word of God. Is you come to church and you hear God's word. That's awesome. But it's more incredible when you grab that word and you say, how do I apply this to my life? How can this word change my life? And so that's what I hope that you guys will do when you leave this place. That you guys will take God's word today and say, how will it relate to me? How will it change my life? And it's not to make it your own, but for God to make it your reality in your life. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about some of these Jewish festivals. And so on September 24th this year, it marked the Jewish New Year. And so they celebrate the New Year, uh, September 24th this year. And they go by a different calendar than we do. For us, it's the year 2014. Uh, for the Jewish people, it's the year 5775, 5,775. And um, it also marks something important. And by the way, they go by, uh, their days go by the, the sunset from evening to evening. It's not like us that we just wait till the next morning. So um, uh, anyway, September 24th marked the, the, the Jewish New Year. And it also marks the beginning of 10 days of repentance immediately. 10 days of repentance, and it's a time where they get together and they repent, they come before God and say, Lord, this is a time of, of giving my life to you, and I'm sorry for my past. And these 10 days culminate with Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement. It's a day set aside to afflict the soul. It's a day set aside to atone for the sins of the past year, of the past of the life that you live. And so it's a time of sadness. But it's a, the purpose of the feast is to say, God, I want to get back on track. It's a, it's a time to say, Lord, I want to walk in your ways. It's a time to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Lord, I want to obey your commandments. That's the time of this year. It's a time to repent. And it's a, it, is, it is a time of sadness for the, for the Jewish people. Um, and I'll tell you that that's a time for always for us to remember that as well. And we need to do this on a daily basis. On a daily basis where we come before God and we say, Lord, I, uh, if, if I failed you, Lord, I want you to pick me back up right now. And I want to get back on track. And I want to hear your voice. And I want to obey your commands that you have for me. I want to be a faithful man. I want to be a faithful woman. And so uh, five days after the feast of Yom Kippur, it goes to the complete opposite extreme. And that's where, we're go that's where we're at today. It goes from the saddest days of the year to the most joyous days of the year for the Jewish people. So they, they're in these saddest days, and now they're in the most joyous days of the year. And uh, they begin to celebrate something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's where we're at. We're at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Sukkot. And uh, God commanded his people to celebrate this forevermore. And it, it, it commemorates that... It commemorates the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. When God took his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, 
into the promised land. And it was a time where they were in the wilderness. They would build these tents and these temporary dwellings, these Sukkots. And, and, and it's, Sukkot means booths or tents or tabernacle. And, and so they were to build these tents and temporary dwellings because you know what? They, they left all they had at Egypt, all they had, their permanent home, they left it. And so they had nothing in the wilderness and whatever they had, they used it to build these temporary dwellings. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. And uh, so today we are, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles began on last Wednesday, October 8th. Those that came here on church on Wednesday and on Thursday, we watched a video on the Sukkot. We watched a movie. And, uh, and that day, uh, on, on October 8th, this, this past Wednesday, it began the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. And it ends the evening of Wednesday, this Wednesday coming up, October 15th. So today we're on the fourth day. And this evening it will be the fifth day. And... Um, and you say, how does this relate to me? Um, I'm not a, a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'll tell you, we've been adopted into this family Amen. through Christ Jesus. Amen. And so when I talk about, I don't live my life according to the New Testament only. I use the scripture. I use the word of God entirely. And, and so when I read about the people of, of Israel being captive, I'll tell you that relates to my life because my life was captive. I was in bondage. And I was bound by sin. And the Lord took me out of my Egypt. He took me out of my pit and he rescued me. And, and yes, I had a time in the wilderness, a time of dryness. But during this time, these Sukkots that, these, that the people of God build, it was a temporary dwelling and they did this for seven days. And so I want to go there and let's see what the scripture talks about this in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 33. And so here's the commandment. This is where it comes in. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, let's go to the next verse. Speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of, his se of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. So for seven days, you're going to have this feast called the feast of tabernacles. And we're going to go ahead and jump to verse 39. It says, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. Verse 40. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of, le of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. For seven days. So this feast of Sukkot required four things to bring before the Lord. And it's called the four species of, of Sukkot. And so this is the first part of the festival where they grabbed four things. I don't know if the people in the back could see. I put some pictures in our, in our folder. If you guys can pull it up. Um, and we're going to put the first picture. If you do find it, uh, I put it under our Soul Share Dropbox. Under, um, under the Four Kenny folder. And so you can put the first one up there once you get it up there. But the first picture that we're going to put up there, they, the first element that was, that, was, uh, um, that was brought before the Lord was a citron. And so the citron was a, and you saw this in the film if you came here on Wednesday and on Thursday, it was like a, uh, a lemon-like fruit that grew solely in Israel. Thank you guys for putting that up. You guys are quick. Native to the land of Israel. And, and this had a representation. It represented the heart. That God wanted that you have a pure heart. So, so this had a symbolism and it symbolized your heart. And so the next element was the myrtle. And, and that's the second picture. And it was a branch of the myrtle tree. And so those little oval um, leaves, they represent the eyes. Our eyes. And it's, it's about offering your eyes to the Lord. In other words, be careful at the things you look at. Because they're the windows of your soul. And you are to protect your eyes and the things that they see. I tell my kids all the time, be careful little eyes what you see. And, and, and we got to protect our eyes. And we got to set our, we got to look at, uh, 
at the Lord and what he has for us and not what this world has to offer us. So we got to protect them. And sometimes we got to shut our eyes to the things of this world. So that was the myrtle branch. The next one was the willow branch. And these were things that they brought before the Lord. And we're getting to a point here. So bear with me. And so these were bigger leaves. And so it looks kind of like a, like a, a lips or mouth, each, each of those leaves. And so it represented the mouth. And uh, be careful what you speak. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you speak. And I sing this to my kids as they were little kids, and sometimes they still sing it around the house. And, uh, but we need to watch what we speak, because there's power in our words. We need to learn to tame our tongue. And so these were things that were offered up to the Lord. And the last element was uh, the palm branch. And this came from the date tree. And um, this represents, uh, this is the spine, which represents the whole body. This is what holds the whole body together. Without the spine, I mean, you pretty, don't, you pretty much don't have your body held together. It holds the whole body together. And so when you put the palm branch, the myrtle, and the willow, and the willow together, they're called the lulav. And, uh, and, then you, and, and so what, what they did is they, they, they put the citron in one hand and the lulav on the other hand, which was the, 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 the other elements all together. And throughout the years, they would stand in the presence of God. And they, would, and they would wave it before the Lord three times to the east. They would wave it three times to the south, three times to the west, three times to the north. Three times up and three times down. And it symbolized that God is everywhere. It symbolized that he sends his provision from the east, from the west, from the north, and the south. And it all comes from above. God's provision comes from above. And he's going to send it from all directions in your life. So it's a symbolism of God's provision in your life. And this is what the, the people of God did. This is what the Jewish people did. So the second part of the festival, which is what you see up here, is found in Leviticus 23.42. And again, we're going to get to the bottom of this because this is really good stuff. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. Verse 43. That your generations may know that I am the children of Israel... I, that I made the children of Israel dwell in boots when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Let's leave that verse up there for a second. It's to remind you, and not just you, but your generations, that you may do this every year and never forget where I took you out of. And while you were taken out, you were, you were in these boots. And I am the Lord your God. I am your provision. I am your refuge. So these Sukkots were, were a temporary booth, and they were built very weak. They were very shaky. This wasn't to be made out of concrete. It wasn't to be made out of anything real solid. They were temporary dwellings. It's all they had, whatever they brought from Egypt over in their backpacks, whatever they cut down, if they cut down a branch, whatever it was, they built with whatever they had. But there was a purpose behind that. There was a symbolism behind that. That even though they were weak, even though that their, their roof was made out of these palm branches, and, 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 and even though if, if a storm would come and it would be blown away, that they would not, that they would know that this life is a temporary life. That they would know that God is their source of strength, that God is their source of provision, that He is their refuge. That he is their protection. That even though I'm weak, he is strong. Amen. And so when we build, when, when they build these booths, when they build these tents, it is, very, it is a very temporary to remind us that we need God. We need God. And without him, we're nothing. Our lives are temporary. And we should cry out to God saying, Lord, you are our refuge. You are our strength. You are our provision. And without you, we can do nothing. We are absolutely nothing without God. And that's what this represents. Because there's no way you can survive in one of these Sukkots. It's a temporary place. But when God's your protection, when God is your refuge, when He is your provision, 
You have no choice but to trust in him when you live in something like this. So the people uh, of Israel every year, they, they eat in, the, in, in there, they fellowship in there, they even sleep in there. So um, once a day they would invite a guest over and uh, it, was, it was so that they can have this time of hospitality because it's awesome, it's incredible to be hospitable, that it's not just about you but for you to be a blessing to someone with what you got. It may not be a lot what you got, but just offer what you have before the Lord. And so you offer your shelter to a guest that comes in and every day they would um, have a different guest come over and they would invite them to eat some to sleep over. And, 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 and these Sukkots didn't have multiple rooms. It was to be one room, one room. It didn't matter the size, if it was bigger. There was a, 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 a tall type of, uh, it, it, it wasn't to exceed a certain length, but the, as far as the size of the room could have been as large as it could be to take as many guests as you want in the room. But the purpose that it had one room was a symbolism of unity. So that there wasn't separate rooms, people living in separate places, but together they are united as one family. That the people of God will be one people. And I'll tell you, well, how do we relate to that? Well, God wants you to be one in your home. Because a house divided will not stand. If you guys aren't working it out at home, you have to work it out because it won't stand. It won't work out. And you guys are just passing through this land temporarily. And while you're passing in this, in this life temporarily, you have to be united as one. As one family, as one people, as one church with one incredible God who will take you through the wilderness, who will take you to the promised land. And so while being in the wilderness, the people of God, God protected them. God fed them and ultimately led them into the promised land. He ultimately led them to the very best that he had for them. And God wants to do the same with you today. God wants to look at your situation and your temporary dwelling. And God wants to be your source of protection in your life. He wants to, he wants to be there and, and he wants to provide for you so you can feed and, have, and take care of all your needs. And ultimately give you the very best, the promises that he has for you. Amen. And he wants to take you through this journey. And so, God's dwelling place was the tabernacle. And, and, and this also commemorates the building of the very first tabernacle in the wilderness. It temporarily housed the Spirit of God. The tabernacle did. And so he told the people to, to, to take their tithes, their offerings, and build him a temporary dwelling place. To build the temporary dwelling place. And he dwelt among them. There in the wilderness, until the real temple would be built, you, so that you could be the dwelling place of our God, the permanent dwelling place, so that wherever you go, you are the dwelling place of the Lord. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. Isn't that incredible? Does that blow your mind? That God dwells in you? If you were to build the temple, in your heart, say, Lord, I invite you into my life. Thank God that we don't really have to build these, these, these Sukkots. Or we don't have to build the tabernacle to invite the presence of God. That, that was a temporary dwelling place for the Lord. The Lord's given us the freedom to be set free in his presence. To go wherever we may go and he is with us. And that's his promise. And that you trust in that promise. That no matter the circumstance, God is with you. To know that he's your source of strength, even in your times that you're weak. So this feast is a day about drawing closer to him. It's about drawing near to him and knowing him more and more. And knowing him as a person. Knowing him as a father that loves you. And it requires our time. It requires our everything. Every day I spent with my wife, Jenny, even from the very f first time that we met and we got married, I'll tell you, I, I got to know her more and more. And the more we talked, because we talked like crazy, 
I mean, we don't live in a house that it's just like one side of the room and we just, we live in the same home and we live separated in the house. No, no, we are like constantly talking. Sometimes we talk too much because I'm on my way to work and we're talking. I'm in, I go visit a client and I call her on the way to visiting a client. It's because we just love to talk. But I'll tell you what that does in our relationship. It's the most incredible thing when you just talk. It's the most incredible thing when you just communicate. It creates an intimacy. It creates a closeness. And the same thing is with our God. If you constantly talk to him, if you pray without ceasing, if you talk with him all the time and you have this true relationship with him, you will grow intimately with him. You will grow closely to him. You will love him more and more. And I'll tell you, you're going to want to do the things he tells you to do all the time. You're going to be so excited to serve him. And that's what this feast is all about. It's about drawing closer to him. And it reminds us that God is our shelter. It reminds us that God is our sustainer. Even in times of difficult times. Doesn't matter how difficult the time gets. It reminds us that he's our shelter. He's our sustainer. No matter how weak, no matter how much this gets shaken. We're founded on the rock, Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate you from that love. And so, and so as, as, as part of this temporary dwelling, we're also, it also symbolizes that this is a temporary life. And that we're not of this world. We're not of this world. And we're just passing by like pilgrims passing through the land. This is not our real home. Our real home's in heaven. We're just passing by, right? This, this is a temporary life that we're living. In fact, the Bible says that life is like a vapor. One second it's here and one second it's gone. If you ever see vapor just go in here and it's just gone, boom. It's temporary. Because this isn't our permanent life. Our permanent home is in heaven. Amen. And we shouldn't constrain ourselves. We shouldn't build a permanent life and say, I'm going to live it to the fullest for me, myself, and I here. And those that do miss out on eternity. But those that say this is a temporary life and I'm going to trust in God throughout my journey in this walk, those are the ones that receive the provision, the best of God, that receive the greatest promises of God. We're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. We're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. Amen. And you need to understand that. You really need to live that out and understand that. That this is a temporary life. Chakot reminds me that I am temporarily on a journey. And that I need God. Say, I need God. Say it. That's right. It's got to come from here. It's got to be a cry of your life. I need you. This morning's message is called, All I Need. Lord, you're all that I need. One of the words they use most during this feast is Hosanna. They use the word Hosanna and, it, and, and it's, Lord, help me. Lord, save us. We need you. Lord, you're my all in all. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my provision. You got to confess that. Say it with me. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my provision. He's my strength. He's my refuge. He's my provision. That's got to be what you cry out to God. You've got to confess it. It's the greatest prayer. I'll tell you, the greatest prayer you can ever pray to God is, Lord, I need you. The greatest prayer you could ever pray is, Lord, I need you. I need you in every area. Sing it to God. That's right. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, 
how I need you. That's got to be our prayer. It's got to be our cry. All I need is you. Every hour, I need you. Every moment of my day, I need you. You're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my provision. Without you, I'm nothing. I need you, God. He's my refuge. We find that in Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That's right. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. Those that do the right thing are the ones that run to it. The foolish don't run to it. The foolish build a permanent home in this, in this world. And they just live a temporary life. And that's it. That's their eternity. And it ends in destruction. But those that are righteous, those that trust in the Lord, they run to him. They run to him and they are safe. Because he's a strong tower. He's their refuge. Is he your refuge today? Do you run to God and say, Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I need you. Psalm 121 verse 1. says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? When I, when I get into my Sukkot and I look up here, this, I, I don't have a good ceiling up here. I could see the stars. But I look up to the heavens and I say, where does my help come from? Because I don't really got too much protection on my own. Where does my help come from? Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I tell you, that second part of that verse is so powerful. And we just read it and like, ooh, that's an awesome verse. No, no, but it's a, you got to read it again. He's the God that made heaven and earth. He's the God that created the universe. He's a mighty God. And he's the one that's going to help you. Can he help you? If he created the heavens and earth, is he mighty enough to help you? Your little problem? Your little problem? With an incredible, great, big God? He made the heavens and the earth. You got to look up to the heavens and say, Lord, I need you. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord. Without your help, I'm, I'm dead. I need you. You're my refuge, Lord. I need to read this one, one of my favorites, Psalm 91. Anytime you feel defeated, I tell you, pick up the word of God. Because there's life in this book. It'll transform you. It'll change you. People read this and their marriages just start to change. They start to apply what's in this book. Every answer is here. And so let's go to Psalm 91 verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's he who dwells in the secret place. It's he who spends time with their God. It's he who has that knit relationship that talks just like I talk to my wife. Maybe you talk to your spouse and you have a, or, or maybe a loved one, a, a mom, a father, a, a friend. The more you talk to somebody, the more intimate you will get with that person, the closer you will get to that person. So he who dwells in the secret place of the most high God shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge my fortress, my God, and in him I will trust. I will trust with all my heart, and I won't lean in my own understanding. I will trust with you, Lord, with all. Everybody say all. All, all my heart. We trust in God only sometimes, but when it's so difficult, so impossible, I'm not going to trust. No, all your heart. God is telling you to trust in all that you have. And you've got to confess the Lord. You're my refuge. You're my fortress. Confess the promises that he's going to deliver you. In him, in you, Lord, I will trust. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day. I'll tell you, my kids, as they were growing up, they were scared of the dark. 
But when daddy was around, it's all gone. The fear is gone. Just dad's presence in the room is like, okay, everything is good. Nothing's happening to me. But as soon as I leave the scene, start to shake. I'm alone. Oh, what's that noise I just heard? But when the Lord is with you, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. We're all scared of the dark. I'm scared of the dark sometimes. When it's real scary and I hear a noise in the house, what is that? Honey, did you hear that? And uh, Nor of the arrow that flies by day. Verse 6. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not come near you. It won't touch you because he's my refuge. He's my strong tower. Verse 8. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Only your eyes shall, shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. That's the reason your God is your refuge. Because you make him the most high, your dwelling place. Have you made Lord, the Lord your dwelling place? His dwelling place? Have you said, Lord, I want you to dwell in me? I invite you into my life. Am I reading too many verses or do I keep going? Keep going. Good. All right. We got a people that loves the word of God. Verse 10. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Your home is protected. That's right. Do you believe that promise for your life? Receive that. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Verse 12. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Verse 14. He wants you to take dominion. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. You know his name. You know who he is. You know his name is a strong tower. He will set you on high. Verse 15. We're almost done with Psalm 91. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. You call upon your God. Many times we don't. Just call upon him. Call upon your God and he will answer you. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him. And show him my salvation. He's my refuge. He's my refuge. Is he your refuge? You're all I need. You're all I need, Lord. My strength. He's my refuge. He's my strength. If you're taking notes. He's my refuge, he's my strength, he's my provision. So we did my refuge, we're going to do my strength. Many people at times in their life, when they're going through the trials of life, they say, Lord, I'm weak and I can't, this is just too much for me to handle. What God's promise to you is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, written by the Apostle Paul in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. And he said, to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, when your life is weak, his strength is made perfect in you. When your life is weak, it's okay to say, God, I'm weak and I need you. Many people say, I don't need God. And that's the most dangerous thing you could ever say. Don't confess that. That I don't need God. I'm good on my own. I don't need the God you're talking about. What a dangerous prayer to pray. You should say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm weak. But I'm made strong in Him. Because His grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's enough for me. 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, would, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast when in my most difficult times that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That the, that the power of Christ may rescue me. He's my strength. Isaiah 40, verse, 20, verse 29. You guys need to write these down. You guys need to post these in your fridge, in your car, in your workplace, on your computer screen, everywhere on your phones. Put it as a lock screen. Do everything you can, but always have the promises of God around you. There's power behind this. He gives power to the weak. You got to confess that. And to those who have no might, those who are weary, those who have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord, Lord, I need you, and I'm willing to wait in my temporary life. I know you're coming through, and I'm going to wait upon you, God. And you told me it's a promise that you will renew my strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So even if you're at the lowly, if you're at the bottom of the pit, and you're just there in the valley saying, God, I need you more than anything. I need you every hour of my day. It says that, he, that if you just wait in the Lord, he's going he's gonna to renew your strength. And not only is he going to give you strength to go through your valley, not only is he going to give you strength to go through that trial and that storm in your life, but he's gonna, he shall mount you up with wings like eagles so that you can soar, so that he can lift you up. And you're going to soar over all your problems. He'll bring you back up to the mountain. And you're going to run. And you won't be weary anymore. You won't be crawling on the floor anymore. He's going to pick you up. He's the lifter of our head. You shall walk and not faint. That's his promise for you. You need to believe and confess. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my provision. A lot of people battle and say, Lord, I don't have enough. I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but my numbers just don't add up. And many times we're so concerned with our material possessions. A lot of times we are so caught up and, and we make the, the worst financial decisions in our lives. And we get into this rut and that's when we cry out to God, Lord, I need you. And you know what? Thank God we have a God that's got so much mercy upon our lives. That even though we get ourselves into a big mess, he's there to pull you out of your mess. But he wants you to trust in him. And he wants you to obey his commandments from there on. Say, God, from this moment forward, I, first of all, I repent. Just like these 10 days of repentance the, the people of God do, the Jewish people do. We need to have some days of repentance. And it's not just one day. It's got to be a life of repentance. Lord, I, I just, I, I don't want to, to fail you anymore. I want to move forward, Lord. And, and Lord, I know that I'm reaping everything I've sowed in my life and everything I've done, all the decisions I make, I'm reaping it today. I'm so sorry, God. I don't want to go back. I want to turn from that. I want to listen to your voice. I want to obey your commands. I want to listen to your word. I want to follow this. I want to confess your truths in my life. I know that you're my provision. And I want to trust in you, God. And I'll tell you, God will hear that prayer. If you walk righteously before him, God will answer that. And God will, will provide you. Philippians 4, 19. And my God, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do we confess this? And my God shall supply all your need 
He's going to take care of, your, of, of all your needs in your life. But he tells you in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. All of it. All its righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. And do what's right. Do what I've called you to do. Many of us don't like that part. We just want God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want more, 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 more. You know what? We need, how, we need to live our lives just like this. We're saying, Lord, this is all I've got. I need you. And I seek you with all my heart. And I want to seek righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that you need, all the provision that you need, forget about the wants for a second. Because we're always concerned about a want. I want, I don't know, I want, I need that dress. You don't need that dress, you want that dress. And it's okay to buy your dress. But you need to learn how to budget your money first. I need that new car. You don't need a new car. You just need transportation, even if it's the bus to get to work. Amen. Period. The Lord will supply all your needs. And the Lord will always give you just enough. Why doesn't the Lord just give me a million dollars just like that? I mean, then all my problems will go away. I mean, I just know it for sure. If I just had a million dollars, pay off my debts, and, and I'll, I'll give to the poor. Everybody will be happy. My family will be happy. We can do everything. Why? Why wouldn't he just do that in our lives? Because he wants you to depend on him. Amen. He wants you to build this so you can depend on him. Saying, Lord, I'm weak. I'm in need. And I'm in need of you. Because if he gives you that, and to some he's given it to you, but if he gives you that, he doesn't want that your heart just, you create a permanent home in your life. And you don't seek God anymore. He wants you to depend on him. I remember as I, was, uh, as I lost my job around 15 years ago, 14 years ago. I got married 14 years ago and then I, and I got my first job and then I got my second job and a year later, so it was 13 years ago, I lost, my, I lost my job and it was my provision. It was like everything we made at home and uh, Jenny was a teacher and, and she, uh, and I'm going to say the short version of this story, but she was a teacher and she was pregnant and we had just bought in a new home and so she, um, um, she when she went on maternity leave, our plan was that she was going to stay home to tend the children. But I lost my job. We didn't get more provision from her, from her maternity leave. We had a mortgage. And um, the market crashed. And I just couldn't find a job anywhere. I'm a man with a degree, a man with certifications, but I, a man with experience, but not an interview did I get. And it was so difficult to go through those times. And uh, um, I, won't, I will never forget the day that, thank God that I have a wise woman. I'll never forget the day, even though in the midst of, of us struggling, she said, let's get on our knees and pray. Just specifically that the Lord may provide for us. And I started my own business and it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Starting my own business, the, the income was real bad the first couple of years. But I'll never forget that moment where she said, let's pray. Let's pray specifically for clients. Let's start naming clients. Let's start naming provision. And we specifically made our prayers before God and our needs before God. And, uh, and the Lord did an incredible, an incredible miracle that he's ever done in my life. Where the Lord paid off the debt that we had because we had a debt that we incurred from not having any money. and We had to buy food and all that. And, and, and enough money to provide for us for the next few months to come. All in one month, all because of one prayer, all because of one incredible God that answered a prayer. All because of a cry, just because of a cry that said, Lord, I need you, period. And so, uh, so we had our first son, and we're like, I don't know how the provision's going to take place, but it's hard 
to just provide. And then uh, we wanted to have a second. And, and, and we, so we're expecting our second son. And we're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. But it better happen in nine months. Because it ain't going to, it just, it isn't adding up right now. But nine months later, God did a miracle. Not just of providing us a second child, but providing us with his provision just to have enough. No debt. And, and, and then so, number three came along. Hmm. And it was my princess. And I knew that these girls could get expensive later on in life. So I was like, whoa, God, I don't know what you're going to do now. And we were really like, what are we going to do for real? Because this is, I mean, right now we're just like check, check by check making it and ends meet. And how is this going to happen? One more is just going to add more and more in our life. And, and the Lord gave us enough grace and provision for that next season in our life. And when number four came, I'm like, no way. My family says, you're crazy. What are you doing? Stop. And, I, and so, so they, they put fear in me. I was like, honey, they said we're crazy. They've got experience. My, my parents had eight children. They're saying we're crazy to have four. So, I mean, and it was crazy. But it wasn't crazy for the God that I served. And I'll tell you, without God, I'd be going crazy right now. But with God, I have enough. And God's been our provision God's been our refuge. He's been our strength. And he's always given me enough along the way. Let's go back. Let's go to uh, Psalms 16, verse 5. It says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. You make my, my Sukkot secure. That's what he's saying there. Lord, you're my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You're the one that's going to fill it. You're the one that's going to provide. You're my provision. Let's go to verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. I'll tell you, there is no greater provision in your life. Forget the money. There's no greater provision in your life than His presence. There's no greater provision in your life than the joy of the Lord. See, there's, there's many people in this world making millions and millions of dollars and they're struggling in the provision because they're looking for a hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for answers in books and, and in horoscopes and, and in direction and, and, in, and everything else but God. And they're missing out. And, and, and it's, right, it's found right here. It's found in his word. It's found in his presence. It's fullness. It's not a little bit. It's complete. It will saturate your life. It will fill you. And his joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And in your time of need, it will be your strength. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going, you're going to enjoy life. You're going to enjoy life to the fullest. Forget about the money for a second. He's just going to give you what you need. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will supply all your needs. But he's going to give you an incredible life. I'm telling you, I'm enjoying life to the fullest right now with my wife, my kids. And that's God's provision in my life. It isn't just the money that he provided to make it through the day. That's great. But there's nothing that compares to the, the home that God gives us, to the gift that God's given us, the provision that God's given us in the home. And that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons we talk so much in this church about the home and about restoring the home, restoring the family, restoring marriages. Because it's the most incredible part of provision in your life that God gives you. Amen. And it's where His presence needs to be at. The presence of God needs to be in your home. Because then there will be fullness of joy. Then there will be a happy wife. Therefore, a happy life. You need to bring the presence of God home. Amen. Invite him in. This is his promise. I love the story of Gideon. Because I can just imagine Gideon. And he's standing there and all the Israelites. And, 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 and with all the Israelites, what are we going to do? We have a million Midianites ready to destroy us. Ready to attack us. And so, so he calls upon the Lord. 
And he's asking, how can I save Israel? My clan, he says, my clan is the weakest. Of, I love the word clan. He's like, he's like my homies, my, my people. Like, they're the weakest. And, and you know what? On top of that, I'm the weakest in my clan. And I'm the leader. I got, I got, I got the weakest clan. I got the weakest people. I got the weakest Sukkot. I got, and I'm the weakest of them all. And you want me to defeat a million Midianites. You want me to save my people. So he's like, go and gather up the people together and count them up. And so, so he's like, all right, I got 32,000 men. I don't know how this is going to add up. It doesn't add up, but I've got, Gideon goes, I got 32,000 men. And I'm going to go against a million. But I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to occur. I know, I, I, I think I'm going to get defeated. It just, it doesn't add up. 32,000 versus 1 million, you're defeated. You're done. And, and the giant seems that big in our lives sometimes. But, but God, let's go to Judges 7 too. It says that he gathered up 32,000 men. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. 32,000 is too many. He's like, what are you thinking? God, are you serious? 32,000 versus a million. And you're saying that's too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself. He does not want Israel to claim glory for itself, that you did it with 32,000. Saying, my own hands has saved me. I'm the one that provided. I'm the hard worker. I'm the one that can make it. I'm the one that got my degrees. I'm the one that's a good entrepreneur. I'm the one that can take care of everything. No, God wants the glory. And so he's saying 32,000 men is just too much. God, please add it up. And so God chose, he told him to choose 300, God chose 300 men to fight the Midianites. 300 out of the 32,000, he brought it down to 300. Now God, you're crazy, because this doesn't really make sense. Like you're just, that's suicide. I'm just going to go in the field and done. The war's over. And, and, and the conclusion to the story is that Gideon had defeated the Midianites with only 300 men. 300 men. But with one very powerful God. Hallelujah. See, that's the miracle. You say, God, this is what I got. This is all I have to offer. All I got is $300 in my account. And I've got a million. I hope you don't have a million dollars in debt. You're in big trouble. You're going to need one big, very big God. And, and he will do something that big. But that's how it was when Gideon faced this. Same way. All I got is 300 versus a million, period. How do you, it, just, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But it's so that you can give glory to God. I share this story all the time with the youth. I have many parts in my testimony. I even shared it last night, and I'd like to share it with you guys. But when I was younger, I had many teachers speak into my life. And I was, uh, I was really a troublemaker as I was a child. And um, I slacked my whole life. Um, everything was about baseball in my life. And I took advantage of the fact that my mom didn't know English. And so uh, I would show her my homework. Yeah, I did everything. Look, it's all done. And showed her. And she's like, oh, okay, good, good. And I, and I would go and, and go to get on my bike with my brother. And we would go play baseball. And this was every day of my life. And um, obviously because of that, I, I did real bad in school. And when I say real bad, it was real bad. It was a lot of Ds. It was a lot of Fs. Um, it caused me to even fail a grade. It caused me to go to summer school. I had a lot of detentions, a lot of suspensions. I had a lot of, of Saturday detentions. And uh, I wasn't really well liked there. And, and, my, and, they, and they kept me in the school because they loved my parents. Because my parents were good people. And this was in, the, in a Catholic school in the Catholic church. And so they didn't get rid of me because of that. And, uh, but because I was like that, I had a lot of teachers speaking to my life. And uh, the things that were spoken to me weren't the greatest things. There were things that, hey, Kenny, you're not going to amount to anything in life. 
And uh, at the moment, I didn't care. At the moment, I was like, eh, whatever. And I was real confident in myself, like no big deal. But it, it started to build up where um, they told me, you will never graduate from school. You're going to be a dropout. And, and you're not going to graduate from college. You're not. In fact, you're going to end up in prison. And uh, at, the, at the moment, I laughed about it. My, uh, my school, my, my eighth grade school, my, my class, we all made shirts for us. And uh, in, instead of making my own shirts, my, my whole class made me a shirt and they put confused in the back. And that was the label that was put upon me. And, and, tell me, tell, and teachers telling me that I'm going to end up in death row. People tell me that I won't amount to anything in life. People telling me that I am no good and that my future is going to go down the drain. This is what was spoken to me in my life as in a, at a young age. And it didn't hit me till later on when I was in high school. I didn't know the Lord yet in my freshman, sophomore year where I started to struggle so much in school. Now school got hard on me. And, and so because I didn't read the amount of books I should have read, I didn't study like I should have, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't work hard at school like I should have, I was starting to pay the price for all my nonsense. And, and so I said, man, I'm stupid. It's true what all those people said about me. And I started to receive that, and that became my identity, that I was really going to amount to nothing. I should just give up, forget about it. There's nothing I could do anymore. And I started to believe that lie. But it wasn't until I came to the Lord and I came to His feet at the age of 17 years old that God really did an incredible work in my life. He really, really, really came in my life and I had an incredible encounter with Him where I immediately fell in love with Him where I knew that there was a Savior that, that was nailed to a cross that paid an ultimate price for me and told me He loved me despite of what anybody tells me. And that that wasn't the name he had for me. That he told me that I was going to be his son. And that my father was a king. And no ordinary king, he was the king of kings. And that I was adopted as his son. And I found my identity in him and I knew who I was then. And so I trusted in God and I tell you, you can just look at my report cards throughout my life and you can tell when I got saved. If you just look at them throughout the years, just, just poof, straight up. And God did an incredible work in my life. Something that I couldn't do on my own. And God put in me to take responsibility in those areas as a 17-year-old. 17-year-olds usually give up and say, forget it. But because God did an incredible change in my life, I said I wasn't giving up because God wasn't giving up on me. And you know what? I did graduate from high school. You know what? I graduated from college with a degree. And you know, I ended up getting a lot of certifications as an engineer, as a certified technology engineer. And I have multiple certifications. I worked at a couple of large, very large companies, American Express, at the Federal Reserve Bank. Today I own my own business. Today I have over 20-something employees in my company. And I'll tell you, God loves to grab the foolish things of this world to put the wise to shame. It don't matter what this world tells you. It don't matter if it doesn't add up. It adds up with God. And God has an incredible purpose in your life. He's got an incredible future for you. He's got an incredible promised land for you. The greatest thing you could ever do is build, say, Lord, I'm going through this temporary life, through this temporary wilderness, through this temporary journey, because I know that the great, the best is yet to come in my life. And when you live your life trusting in God, it's going to be incredible. God's promises never fail. They never fail. They never fail. Joshua 21, 45, the people of God were in the, in the wilderness and God's provision was there. He fed them. He protected them. But it says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All of the Lord's good promises to Israel never failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Everyone occurred. 
He's a faithful God. All of God's promises, they never fail. The word says that the grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of God will always remain. It will always stand. Everything in this life is temporary. But his, his word is eternal. His word is forever. The same God that, that never failed the Israelites is the same God that will never fail you. You need to believe that. Because his word never fails. His, never, his word never returns void. And he wants to take you from glory to glory so you can use it for his kingdom. And I'll tell you, my story is for, to be used for his glory. I went back to that school. And I told all the staff the good news. And I told them I graduated. Not only did I graduate it. And not only did, did, did I start my own business. But today I'm a married man. And I've got children. I've got the greatest provision in my life. And I didn't end up where you told me I ended up. I went to the whole opposite extreme. God took me to the whole opposite extreme. All with what I had. What you called foolish, God turned it into something incredible. God loves to grab nothing and make it something. He always does. He loves to grab dirt and make life out of it. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that how God is? He loves to grab some, some clay. Back then, the, the potter would grab the clay, and it would be from the worst part. It would be from the garbage and grab the clay, and, and it had a lot of impurities in it, and it had a lot of garbage in it. And so he put it on the wheel, and he started to mold it, take out all the garbage out of it, and he started to spin it and spin it and spin it and mold it. And he grabs this clay, and his, its end result is something that's going to be useful in life. Now you're going to be a provision. And I never knew that God would take me through this journey. I never knew I'd be here on a Sunday teaching the word of God. And it's all glory to God. God's promises never fail. Isaiah 41. Let's have the worship team come up. Isaiah 41 verse 10. I want everybody to know this, and God wants you to know this. He says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, he, he's, he's, he's confirming it to you just in case you didn't get it. You're like, for real? Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll tell you, God's word is so powerful that he spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light, and it just, bam, it happened. Just like that. Imagine what his hand could do. And he's telling you he's going to uphold you with his righteous right hand. God can do so many incredible things in your life. It doesn't add up. And all you need to say is, Lord, I need you. Let's all stand here this morning. The greatest prayer you could ever praise is, Lord, I need you. The greatest prayer is saying, Lord, I'm weak. I don't have enough. I can't but I know you can. But I know you will. Because I know your promises never fail. And I trust in you, Lord, with all my heart. I don't lean on my own understanding because if I do, it just doesn't add up. The 300 versus a million, it doesn't add up. It really doesn't. So I'm not going to lean toward that. I'm going to trust in you. I don't know how, but I'm just going to trust in you. And I'm going to wait patiently in you, Lord. And those that wait patiently in the Lord, He will renew your strength. He will be your provision. He will be your refuge. He will be your strength. He will be your provision. As you stand here tonight, this morning, just close your eyes where you're at.
And this is your moment to just receive from the Lord. Receive your inheritance, your provision from Him. The greatest provision is His presence in your life. With His presence, your home will flourish. With His presence, your finances will flourish. With His presence, you will be in your worst times and God will lift you up. Right now, I'll tell you the greatest thing you can do is just say, here I am, Lord, I need you. Make that your prayer today. As we sing this song, say, all I need is you, Lord. All I need is you. Worship your God as we sing this song. Make it your prayer. Make it your cry. Every hour, every hour of my day, I need you, Lord. Worship him. You can lift your hands to him. You can lift, him to, lift it to the heavens. It's you, Lord. It's you.